0: Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. My name is Pastor Aaron Nicholson. This is Pastor Jesse Randolph. And all the way from the East Coast, we have Pastor Grant Castleberry. Thank you for being with us this afternoon, Grant. Hey,
1: thank you for the opportunity. It's an honor and a privilege.
0: Awesome. We're so glad to have you. Pastor Grant is the Senior Pastor of Capital Community Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and he's been pastoring that church since August of 2019, a Little, almost four years, is that right? Correct. Okay, and he's completed his undergrad degree from Texas A&M University. He holds a Master of Divinity and a Master of Theology degree from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And you're currently pursuing a doctorate at the same seminary, is that correct too? Correct. I'm writing... A dissertation on
1: Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones and my supervisors, Dr. Michael Haken, at Southern Seminary, and I'm looking at Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones's use of his heroes of the 18th century. So, how Lloyd Jones looked to Edwards and George Whitfield and Daniel Rowland in uh, in Wales to to really draw upon insights for his own ministry in the 20th century.
0: That's wonderful. That sounds like yeah. a podcast episode in the future.
1: Yeah, it's basically occupying all my time outside of church, family, <laughs> and um, everything else. So I, I've, I'm reading in the, in the 18th century and reading a lot
0: of Lloyd-Jones. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, you are a busy guy. I, I read in addition uh, that you write for Table Talk magazine. Um, you're a contributor to For the Gospel Ministries and Unashamed Truth, a radio broadcast ministry. Grant also is married to Grace Anna since 2009, and they have four children with one on the way. Congrats.
1: One on the way in July. So awesome. we're, about to, we're about to be back in the
0: thick of it. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's good to have you once again. Absolutely. We understand you're writing a book now on the honor of God. And so just right off the bat, we want to ask you, what do you mean by that phrase, the honor of God?
1: Well, it might be best to start by saying what it doesn't mean. And this theme of the honor of God has been a theme that has gripped me for a number of years and has been something that has really guided my ministry. But what it doesn't mean is me san- me centered Christianity. And I as you look at so much of what has become American evangelicalism, so much of it is focused on what God does for you. It's focused on the audience. And, and part of that is because uh, our churches are very democratic and, and American evangelicalism has really started to operate in, on what sometimes we call the killer bees, the budgets, the buildings, the bodies, and and calculating what gets people in the room. And people figured out a long time ago that what gets people in the room is if you cater the message and you cater what you do as a church, as an institution, to the needs of the people. You tell them what they want to hear, and they're going to come. You give them what they want. And that really pervades so much of American evangelicalism. But when you read the Bible, what you see is something completely different. You see that what motivates the prophets in the Old Testament, what motivates Moses as he's writing, is the glory and honor of God. You think about When God tells Moses, I'm going to destroy these people right here in the wilderness. And Moses says, God, don't do that because your honor and your glory is at stake and your reputation is on the line with these people. So what motivated Moses and all these guys, I mean, Paul, you know, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God is this big vision of God. And that really has gripped me since going back to high school. But, you know, part of it was coming into the Reformed faith and being influenced by John MacArthur and and John Piper and R.C. Sproul and a number of these guys, But but really seeing a big vision of who God is and then allowing that vision of God to orient everything else you do, because when you are God-centered and concerned about God's honor, you're going to put his word at the center of everything. Because you're saying, it doesn't doesn't really matter what I think about ministry. It doesn't really matter what what I think will get people here. It matters what God thinks. It matters that we be faithful to him. Hmm. So the word honor in Hebrew is the word kabod, and that means heavy or weighty. And so if you think about it in that light, to honor God means to feel the weightiness of who God is,
0: Hmm.
1: to feel the heaviness of God. And I'm not sure if you think about the average church service in, in in an evangelical church, I'm not sure most people would walk away saying that they experienced the weightiness of the presence of God in the service, because so much of it is just flippant, and so much of it is is entertainment, and. And talking about Martin Lloyd-Jones at the beginning, I I recall a story one time, Sinclair Ferguson, I I heard him just give this anecdote about the first time he heard Lloyd-Jones. Lloyd-Jones was up in Scotland, and there was this girl, I think she went to his church, and for whatever reason, the first night that Lloyd-Jones was preaching, Sinclair couldn't go, but but she was able to go, and she went. And... Sinclair was going to go hear Lloyd-Jones the next night. Well, the next day, Sinclair asked her, he said, what was it like to hear the doctor preach last night? And she said, it felt like the walls of the building were about to fall down. Hmm. Such was the heaviness of the presence of God in the room. And so, you know, this is really what the essence of Christianity is. I think is about, this is what Jesus said, that this is eternal life, that they know me, that they know God, John 17, three. Um, so it's the knowledge of God. It's knowing God. It's, it's understanding the heaviness of God. I mean, this is even in the new covenant. I was reminded recently, um, Hebrews 12, 29, the writer says, let us offer acceptable worship to God with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And of course, he's drawing all the way back to Exodus, you know, with the the presence of God on Sinai. But we don't think about that. That's new covenant. You know, this is let's worship God with reverence and awe, for he is a consuming fire. And this doesn't, of course, we stand on grace. We we understand that through the gospel that we approach God as our Father. And so there's intimacy here. But there's also a level of reverence and awe for God. The word that describes the worship of God, the phrase in the Old Testament, is the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord throughout the entire Old Testament is basically synonymous with the worship of God. So fearing God means that we know him, we love him, but we worship him as he really is. And this is what Jesus said to the woman at the well, that we worship him in spirit and in truth that we worship God as He is, and and God has revealed to us that He is a holy God. And that should reflect everything that we do from our worship to the leaders that we put forward in our churches to the ministries that we run. All of it should reflect the fact that God is holy and that we are to revere
2: Him and fear Him. Amen. You, 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 tying in Lloyd-Jones, who you're studying for your, your doctorate, you know, I've had the privilege of not only reading, preaching, and preachers, but hearing the original audio of, of those lectures that that birthed the book later, and you listen to him, and you listen to his preaching, and you can't help but hear a, a man that was uh, diminutive in stature, uh, a little smaller, a little. Yeah. you know, he wasn't a powerful, bombastic preacher in the sense that maybe the culture might lo- you know, look for a certain type of voice or personality who's charismatic uh, in their delivery, but... You listen to that man speak, and you listen to that man deliver and thunder the word of God in, in his own way. And there's a power, a reverence and awe uh, that that he clearly believed in. It gripped him, and you couldn't help even from you know 50 years later listening to the audio of those lectures at Westminster uh, realize that's a man that was gripped by the all those things you just mentioned: the character of God, the person of God, uh, the, the holiness of God, and the and the awe, the reverence for God that we ought to have is. As Christians, so it's a, just a good reminder. Set in opposition to kind of the culture's pursuit of the the, the trendiest church, the church with the loudest music, the church with the uh, the coolest lobby, or the, the the tastiest coffee, or you name you know, all the things that go along with ministry these days. Not that any of those things are bad. I like good coffee, as Aaron knows. Um, I do too. But, <laughs> yeah. but. It's a good reminder, tying Lloyd-Jones there to, to the honor of God, the, the character of God, and the fear, the right reverent awe we ought to have for him that you're bringing out. On that topic, Grant, uh, you've, I was going to ask you a little bit about some false forms of Christianity that you see out there in the culture. I think you've already kind of hit on those, and we're kind of going back and forth in those already. But going back to the scriptures... What are some examples that you could give us, other than ones you've already mentioned, of of true God-centered faith, um, God-honoring faith, or faith in which you see the honor of God coming through these figures that we see in the scriptures?
1: Well, I mean, just look at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's just remarkable how God-centered Jesus is. At the end of John chapter 5, Jesus basically tells the Pharisees, you won't believe because you seek your own glory. So if you are after your own glory and your own honor, that is antithetical to true Christianity. It's Jesus said that is a hindrance. The hindrance to you coming to faith is that you seek your own glory. And then at the end of John chapter 8, when the Pharisees accused Jesus of, Of having a demon. I just find his response so remarkable. He says, I do not have a demon. I honor my father. I honor God. So if you want to know the heartbeat of Christ, it's that Christ is after the glory and honor of the Father. And that is what drove him that's what motivated him and that i think is the heartbeat of what you see in the the apostles that's what he taught them and that's what they carry forward and so you see this over and over in paul where you know romans 11 for from him and through him and to him are all things whatever you do do it all for the glory of god it's doxological. It's that high theology that gets your eyes off yourself and gets your eyes to God. But more than just an ethereal God-centeredness, there's this element of, as what Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, of God dealing with you. And maybe this is the experiential element that's lacking in so much of Christianity is that when you actually encounter God, there is a level of awe and respect for Him. One of the ways that I know that the Holy Spirit's really working in a service is when silence pervades and people get really quiet. And then I'm like, okay, wow, I, the the God, the Holy Spirit is working in his word in people's lives, bringing conviction or encouragement, but his presence is felt. And on an individual level, that's really what is required to live a God-centered life is that you truly know God experientially and that God leads you and God deals with you through the scriptures where you come to, to know him. And then you love him, but you also respect him. You know, by this, uh, you will know that we are his children, that we desire to obey his commandments. So, yeah, we love him as our father, but we also respect him and desire to honor the Lord. And that comes from that personal encounter that we individually have with him.
0: Thank you, Grant. And so when you talk about pursuing the honor of God, knowing Him and loving Him. How do we get there? And can you think of it from, or maybe answer it from the perspective of, you know, a a lay person at church? I'll ask you about pastors next, but maybe somebody, you know, day-to-day life, the the soccer mom, the student, the employee, the employer, um, how do we go about pursuing the honor of God? The
1: first thing is... To understand, and this is where Paul, if you read Romans chapter 12, this is where he begins. He says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So the the imperative always begins with the indicative. So it's understanding that Christ has already honored God in the way that we were supposed to do, but we have failed to do. So we personally have brought tremendous shame and ignominy on on the kingdom, on our our record, everything. But Christ has lived a righteous life. As he said in John 8, he has honored the Father. So it's understanding that that when he was on the cross, he was taking our shame. It's not that we get to heaven by honoring God. It's that Christ honored God. Christ lived a righteous life. Christ lived a perfect life, the life that we did not live and christ took our shame he took the curse that we deserved on the cross so in romans 12 that's where paul begins the imperative you know therefore brothers that therefore is based on what christ has done by the mercies of god offer your bodies as living and holy sacrifices which is your acceptable worship so all of your life then if God has provided means where he has honored him for you, then all of your life is to be given as this living and holy sacrifice to him. So it's everything. It's all encompassing. Everything that we do, we should be asking the question, how does this make God great? How does this honor his name? How does this demonstrate the, the heaviness and weightiness of God? Am I parenting in a way that is teaching my children who God really is? Am I demonstrating the joy that should be evident in the Christian life that, that shows that I am indeed a, a child of God? Am I pointing them to understand that God is the creator of the, the stars and the ocean when we're at the beach? You know, all these things are about living this God-centered life, but it's all built on what Christ has done for us, obviously, with and through the
0: gospel. Yeah. What would our lives be like if we thought that way in every decision, and every moment? Oh, thank you. And similarly, I guess moving on to pastors specifically, how would you um, encourage pastors to pursue a God-honoring mindset in their churches? I
1: think... Teaching a series on the character and attributes of God is really helpful. I think teaching on, on the Old Testament text, specifically Exodus, and going through some of the prophets where the prophets are really calling people to repentance and to come back to the reality of who God is, I think being relentlessly biblical and saying, look, we want to honor the Lord, and so we're going to do things the Lord's way. And we're we're not going to allow power structures in the church or the world to influence our decisions. We are, to the best of our ability, as elders, as pastors, we are going to, to lift up God's word, and we are going to honor Him by submitting to His word. Regardless of what the world says or what Hollywood says or what Harvard says, we are going to be submitted to the word of God. And I know that sounds so simple. You're like, oh, it's well, very, you know, everybody claims to be under the Bible. Well, yeah, a lot of people claim to be, but saying that you're under the Bible and being under the Bible are two different things. So take this whole example, just a, a case point with women preachers that's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention right now. Well, Paul says very clearly in 1 Timothy 2, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. I mean, it's very clear what Paul says. But are you going to submit to that? Or are you going to do your own thing and say, well, that was first century context in Ephesus. There were some problems with some unruly women. And that's really what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about the women teaching today. But then Paul goes on to say, for Adam was created first, then Eve. So the argument goes back to creation. He's not talking about cultural context. So being under the word means in many cases now that you are going to be swimming against the tide. You're going against the culture. You're going against the world. But that's what's required to be a God-centered church, to have a God-centered ministry, is you have to say, look, we're
2: going to operate by the book no matter what. That's really helpful, Grant. And I, I know you are not only a pastor, but I, I think I can rightly put you in the category of public theologian. I don't know if you would accept that title or not, but I'm going to put it on you. And the reason I'm going to do that is a few. Um, one is you're, you're you're pursuing your doctorate, so you're, you're looking to instruct and build up the church locally first and foremost in sound doctrine. Uh, you're now going to be a published author, so the thoughts the lord has given you are going to be put out there into the to the mainstream uh, evangelicalism but also i know you have an active presence in social media and i know you use that vehicle i think really effectively to promote and to um, to advocate biblical truth to to draw real clear lines about what the bible condones and permits and what it prohibits i've i've followed you for some time now and and that's all i see and that's what i've consistently seen so I put you in the public theologian category for all those reasons. Here's here's the question. How do we, as pastors, as public theologians, pursue this sort of God-honoring Christianity or pursuing the honor of God through social media, through modern media and devices and technology that, that is out there today? That's a great question. I mean, social media is such a, a difficult,
1: difficult tool to use. But I I think asking that, those questions, and th- this is a question that I ask myself quite a bit, is does what I'm putting out on social media bring honor and glory to me or honor and glory to God? So I know that's a there, there's much more intricate questions to ask on social media, but that's a big helpful starting point. What my desire is in terms of the public square. Is at my heart, I'm an evangelist and an apologist. So I desire to reach people with the truth of the gospel and to encourage believers to do so as well, and to encourage believers to stand for a God-centered Christianity. So when I'm engaging in social media, you know, when I'm doing stuff with unashamed truth, which is the radio ministry that I lead. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about how can I how can I put forward a God-centered Christianity in the public square that will encourage and teach believers, but also how can I engage the secularist who's lost, who is fighting against the truths of Christianity? How can I speak the truth in a loving way, but speak the truth nonetheless that's going to challenge their secular commitments? So... Those are some of the big questions that underneath the umbrella of honoring God, that, that's the particular ministry that God's given me, I think, yeah. is to promote a God-centered Christianity and to engage secularists with the truth of the gospel and to challenge their presuppositions.
0: Amen. Simple but helpful paradigm. You yeah. know, does this honor me or does this honor the Lord? I was just thinking of on on Twitter.
2: Um, I think it's every day. he He tweets the same thing. I don't know how early it is, but it's God's mercies are new every morning, and it's just a paraphrase of, uh, well, it's Lamentations 3.23. It's an encouragement to the believer, but even to the unbeliever, it's something that they have to wrestle with if they see that. Who is this God? What does mercy mean? You know, and start asking those questions about what is this guy talking about, but it's simple. It's not, um, you know, Twitter especially, as we know, is it can be a, a theological dumpster fire, but but when you throw a, a simple truth like that out, it, it's, it's, it's peaceful. It, it's a reminder of who God is. It goes back to God-centered belief, and uh, it can encourage an, uh, the believer but challenge the non-believer at the same time. So uh, I'm personally just very encouraged by that ministry that the Lord's given you uh, through social media. Since we don't go to the same church, that's how we relate typically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for your, your, uh, your example in that way and uh, coming on and talking about God-centered faith
0: and the honor of God.
1: It's been an honor and a privilege. So, yeah, yeah, thank you all.
0: Yeah, thank you, Grant. And thanks, listeners, for listening to the Sound Words podcast. Uh, We encourage you to like and subscribe to Sound Words on YouTube. You can rate us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to help us reach more people with biblical content. Pastor Jesse, do you have any closing words for us? final word, as always, goes to God and his word in 2
2: Timothy 1.13, which says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus.
0: Thanks for listening.